Hi, my name's Lydia and I'm a human of HR. Hi, my name's Simon and I'm a human of HR. Hi, I'm Emma and I'm a human of HR. My name's Jill and I'm a human of HR. Hi, my name is Michael and I'm a human of HR. Welcome to Humans of HR, a conversation about all things HR. We keep it real, raw and refreshing. We're not afraid to ask the questions or go where others won't go. We're real people having real conversations about real topics. You ready? Let's do this. Well, my name is David Gazzarotto, and we are the Humans of HR. We're a podcast show, and we are coming to you live from the HR Tech Fest here in Auckland in New Zealand, so it's great to be here. Um, and I am joined by several guest humans here as well. My immediate right is a Jared, Jared McGrath, who's the CEO of Smart WFM, got a booth over here, wrote a book, decent human being. Great to have, have you here, Jared. Um, we have another Jared, this time a Kiwi Jared, who uh, was a, has been a co-conspirator of mine for several years on podcasts, used to work together. He now works for Pivot, great little New Zealand company, and uh, it's great to have Jared Cameron, the GM of Pivot Software, joining us on the podcast today. And our um, last but not least is another great human being, uh, Matt Smith, who uh, until recently was the CEO of Pure Learning. And uh, he now works with me at Alight Solutions. So uh, it's fantastic to have you here as well, Matt. Excellent. So the whole concept of, of doing the podcast is to, to kind of democratise the voices around HR. Um, and so what we're going to aim to do is bring the many together and, and uh, have a lot of contributors over time. So this is kind of format you'll be able to get when you become subscribers and you get a weekly podcast. We're going to riff around some different topics and, uh, and explore... Uh, things that are hopefully of interest. So to kick things off, what I thought we'd start with is um, the question of what does it mean to you to be a human of HR? So Jared, Cameron, uh, Jared uh, McGrath, can I start with you? Thank you, David. Much appreciated. Um, to be a human of HR, I think, is really just being yourself. I think it's really important to be yourself and to be someone that has a voice and is not afraid to be able to say something and feel comfortable that what they're saying will be heard and people will actually respect what you're saying. And I think in the past, I've, I've seen a lot of situations where people get into particularly work situations and even social situations whereby they're not always comfortable being themselves. So. I think to be a human of HR, it's 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 very important to to just to have a voice, to be heard, and to be a to be a real person. Jared Cameron, you've got the microphone there, mate. I might uh, I get do, you. I do, don't to I? How convenient. Yeah, absolutely. So if you could, uh, in those dulcet Kiwi tones, oh yeah, I know. Beautiful. Talk to us about uh, what it means to be a human. I think um, I'm going to take more. HR. I'm going to take a more technology spin on this one. So I think um, being a human of HR is about you know, recognizing that we spend a lot of time talking about processes and automation and how we can make things faster and better, but recognizing at the end of the day that it's actually people's lives that we're messing with. 
And, you know, you see this every day with, you know, we're pretty attached to our devices and we spend a lot of time probably focusing more on them than our families. So I think being a human of HR for me is, as an HR professional, be about saying, how do we bring our people with us? How do we use technology but don't abuse technology? And I know that sounds kind of funny. I'm a tech vendor and I'm telling you not to abuse technology. But uh, I actually think it's a real problem that we face. You know, how do we use it responsibly? How do we use it to enhance relationships, not replace them? And I think it's really easy to replace a relationship with software. Not always with the right consequence, though, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, really, really good, uh, some good points there, Jared. Matt, what about you? What does it mean to you to be a human or considered a human of HR? Yeah, I, I really knew Jared Cameron would steal my answer. Um, but I, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's about not forgetting your humanity. Um, and it's, it's about realising that your decisions impact all the other humans in the organisation as well. So every decision you make, every new piece of technology or every process or every decision you make is going to impact the, the rest of the humans in your organisation as well. So I think that's what it means to be. Yeah, awesome. I'd stay with you, Matt. Let's sure. let's kind of um, the, the digital age that we're living in is creating this. It's often talked about the fourth industrial revolution, where um, it's a it's a combination of the human, the physical world, and the cyber world. What's that intersection between the sort of humans and the machines doing for the nature of work and and how we, um, you know, I guess how we interact as as humans in the workplace. Yeah, I think it can be very easy to get caught up on the technology. So I think quite often when we do implement technology, those business outcomes that we're trying to achieve become technological outcomes and we start getting focused on the features rather than what we're actually trying to do for the for the organisation and for the people there as well. So I think more and more as we become more reliant on technology, we need to understand that it's just a simple, it's, it's a tool that we're using um, and it's to achieve an outcome. We need to keep focused on that outcome and not get stuck, you know, getting really, really caught up with the latest and greatest technology, the shiniest new tools, implementing things for the sake of them. Yep. Yeah, cool. Jared, just in, in terms of relation, in relation to that, um, that you're coming at it from very much the technology side now, which is a bit of a flip for you. What is the difference in terms of, um, you know, uh, digital driving outcomes, as, as Matt was talking about? Um, how do we kind of keep the human element through, you know, driving technology? I think, you know, we, I think we talked about this about a year ago when we, <laughs> we did our whole podcast about making sure that it's the human things, that the things that make us human that we have to continue to focus on doing and doing well. And so I think, you know, technology is an enabler, right? Like it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't ultimately fix anything. It just allows you to solve a problem faster or smarter or easier. And yes, some technology does that all by itself, but in the, in the main... It still requires people that are passionate and it still requires people that are prepared to get out there and talk and prepared to, you know, tackle some of those challenges. So, Dave, I don't know. I still kind of feel like as much as we drive harder on the tech stream, it just puts more pressure and more focus on people people doing the things that we are naturally gifted and good at doing as, as humans. So, yeah. conversations, relationships, you know, critical thinking, um, the stuff that machines can't automate. Let's keep doing that really well. And I think the technology will come with us. It'll just follow. Yep. You know. So we're not slaves to the technology yet? I don't think so. I, I don't have it attached to my wrist. Well, I do. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much drives me all, yeah. all day. Yeah. It's crazy, it isn't it? Yeah. Look, actually, funny joke on that one. So I got an Apple Watch and my 
my wife said to me, as soon as I got an Apple Watch, I stopped responding to text messages, which is weird because I get the notification on my wrist. Now, I've read the text message and I'm comfortable that I've had my half of the conversation, which is I'm aware of what she needs, but I haven't been responding to her. So, you know, sometimes technology can actually have quite a detrimental effect. So I had to turn up the haptic touch so it really smacks me every time I get a text so I remember that I've actually got to contact and go back to it, which is stupid, but that's... That's what's happened for me. You know? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a good example, Jared, because we we are very much overwhelmed by all this technology now, um, and and part of it is to try and cut through that. Jared, you and I have talked about that. The other Jared McGrath, um, you know, in terms of how do we create great employee experiences and how do we make sure that the digital doesn't just overwhelm us? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the other things, just sort of you know, picking up on what you guys have said, taking a different spin on technology and digitization is that as humans we actually have to learn how to cope with the digitization and the automation that's taking place as well and and ultimately it's the human side that's going to create the experience the policy the procedure whatever it is that we need to put in place so for example if there is some robotic process or whatever that's taken someone's job or in taken a, a piece of work away then how do we actually deal with it and and how do we actually keep that human process involved and I know when I wrote my book a, a year or so ago one of the things that I really had to consider was um, an example of you know if a, if a robot comes along and takes away a, a, a shift you use a robot to do something on a shift that a human once would have done if a human still needs to do that role then how do you cater for that? So if, if a robot breaks down, it, it's like a, a human getting sick. So, do you, you know, do you need to schedule the robot? Do you need to schedule its downtime? And it's all human-based considerations that come around all of this. So, so you know, flipping it around the other way, it's, it's about humans that actually have to create the, the um, experience, uh, whether there's humans involved or robots involved. Yeah, so it's a, oh, it's an interesting one. I might just fire this sort of follow-up on that. The digital workforce and that kind of convergence of the robots and the humans, what does that mean for the, the way in which we um, engage the workforce from a... Um, you're, you're about workforce management and, and how we plan to, to have the right people in the right place, the right skills, etc. Um, we in New Zealand and in Australia are very heavily unionised workforces. How, how do you cater for robots doing work alongside humans um, in, in, uh, in the jobs that we have today? It's a great question and there's no silver bullet to the answer to that. And, and it's a very complex situation because if you've had a, a heavily industrial workforce and now there is some sort of automation or whatever that's coming along to make it more efficient or more productive or whatever the, the case may be, it's, 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 a, it's an incredibly complex situation to work through. And, and it's something that takes time and it and and it's it's really about listening to those at the coalface as well because everyone's impacted everyone's lives are impacted there's families there's ecosystems there's all sorts of stuff around it and it's it's not just a matter of looking at it from a, a, a top level down and going well we've got to do this and you know move this process or policy or whatever it happens to be you, you've got to come at it from top down and, and bottom up and and apply that human aspect to it Yep. Excellent. Jared Cameron, um, in terms of experience and being able to 
uh, leverage what we've done in other aspects of digital. Um, I know this is something that you, you're quite passionate about in terms of how we take what we do in the consumer world and we apply that to deliver great experiences for our employees. Is that, is that still a thing? I think it is, but you know, if you walk around this room at this conference and you know, there isn't a single vendor that says to you, we have a great experience in our application, you know, they shouldn't be in that room. It's the simple answer. It's got to be a, the great experience has become the baseline. Now, it used to be something that you could promote and say, wow, we have a good user interface. It's really easy to use. It's really logical, intuitive. It's mobile friendly. So what? Is my answer to that? If you don't have that now, you're not in the game. So I think that's kind of, in the last couple of years, that's moved a bit. And yeah, there's still some people playing catch up, but if you go and look at all the startup booths, you'll find that those applications are so natively beautiful to use, they have changed that expectation. So I think you know that conversation maybe has moved a little bit, Dave. Um, but one thing I would say is that sometimes we do try to focus a little bit too much on mimicking everything that we see in our private world in the, into the you know the corporate world, and we sometimes try to make everything mobile friendly. And you know one of the things I learned really well off Matt actually is there's a whole lot of learning experiences that are horrible on a mobile device because you get interrupted so so often and you're using your thumbs and it's a tiny screen so we actually have to really challenge should you use a mobile device for this task would someone does it make their job easier is it realistic that it's actually going to be something they will do as opposed to just blindly having a mobile first strategy I think it's about looking at the use case understanding the problem you're trying to solve thinking about the device it's about putting yourself in the shoes of the human that will be using it and designing for that person. I think it's still relevant, but mm. it's become the norm. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, you've, you've segued nicely to Matt. Um, I want to extend this a little further, Matt, because I, I know you're someone who has um, progressively taken yourself out of the social, out of social networks and, and other aspects. What's driving that from your own perspective? Yeah, uh, I found that it was just taking up a lot of time. Yep. Uh, I felt like it wasn't really increasing any. It wasn't increasing any happiness. It wasn't improving any of my personal relationships with with friends and family. In fact, it was damaging it sometimes. You know, if I didn't log into Facebook for a week and someone had sent me a message, they think I'm ghosting them, but I'm just you know they haven't texted me. Um, so I just found like, you know, and you're just instinctively pulling out your phone and you're not even thinking about it. You're on the train or in the doctor's surgery, just looking at Facebook mindlessly. Um, and there's much better things. I, like I'm that. anxious now because I haven't looked at mine for, for what, uh, 12 minutes, 14 minutes now. You could, you could check it right now while I'm talking if you want. <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I just haven't been really feeling that it's, it's been that productive for me. And I'm, I'm also actually finding that with collaborative software yeah. at work as well. I think there's there's two yeah. edges to that. I'm a big fan of collaborative software and use it quite a lot, but I, I, I find that there is a bit of a dark side to that which can really impact your, your mm. overall employee experience. Yeah, I think so. I think we have, we're, we're in an age now where we've actually given too much. We've tooled our employees up too much. Um, we're asking them to check their emails, instant messages, Slack groups, Facebook groups, um, LinkedIn. Um, that's even, you know, uh, it's convergence of kind of work and, and their own social lives. Um, I feel like we've, we've got to almost start stripping things back again and getting back to the, the one water cooler in the organisation and, and, and help people to, to get better connected in perhaps less ways. Is that contentious? We're, we're also that? not teaching people how to use them effectively as well. So when we're not teaching people how to write a Slack message really, really well, so there's clarity uh, in that. So it it's prevents that kind of 10 messages back and forth. We're not teaching people the 
about choosing the right way of collaborating collaborating sometimes it's better to use you know an instant messenger sometimes it's better to jump on a video call and sometimes it's better just to pick up the phone um, so I, I think we need to spend a lot more time thinking about which tools we're using but also how we're using those tools yeah and from a pr productivity perspective I think that's what kind of the essence of what we're talking about here um, we, we are trying to create more collaborative enterprises to drive productivity to create you know, a better connection to drive culture. But fundamentally, if we are, you know, we're consuming people's time and overwhelming them, then it's going to be counterproductive at the end of the day. Absolutely. We're spending all our time communicating and, and collaborating, but we're not spending time at our desks doing the work that we actually need to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Who, who when does, when do people actually do work now? In between, I don't know. Your two meals, lunch and afternoon tea. Yeah, <laughs> it's tricky though, right? Like, like. So interestingly, so I, I actually had a change of employment in the last three months, and I went from. He a left me. I left my work wife, Dave. Um, so I went from a completely flex remote work environment personally for myself and with my team, and I now have a lot of people around me face to face. And I found it quite interesting watching that dynamic and the change, and how much people rely on those face to face conversations, and they're really important, Dave. You know, you but you have to make time for work, and it sounds stupid. You're at work all day, but you can very easily spend your whole time just responding to email chains. And like none of us are actually employed to do that. You know, that's, that's supposed to be the communication part. And yes, some of us are in jobs where our, our goal is to try and funnel people to each other all day long, but that's not the most of us. Most of us have something else we're trying to do. So I find that a battle myself, actually, to, to get some maker time in the day. And, you know, I, I lock out my calendar or I go and sit in a room if I have to, but ultimately it's about setting boundaries with people, I think saying to them hey give me give me some space i yeah. need it yeah absolutely <laughs> no it's tough it's a tough challenge for us all um we are rapidly coming towards uh the end of time you're listening to and you're watching when you, if you're here live at hr tech fest here in auckland this is the humans of hr podcast and uh, we're really excited to be here with you um, just to sort of wrap things up i'm going to go around the the panel one last time with um, a question that's on my t-shirt and if you'd like to grab a t-shirt um, on the chairs there and, and have one for yourself as a souvenir of your time here at HR Tech Fest. Um, but we're talking about putting the human back into human resources. So I thought I might just pose that question as a parting kind of statement to each of you. Um, you know, how do we put the human back into human resources? So my, my background is not a traditional HR background. My background in HR is really having managed large consulting teams for many, many years. So my experience with HR is very much from my experiences. And I found from setting up my latest company that putting the human back in HR is really about what's the greatest sense of purpose. Why are we really here and why are we really, you know, on earth? And, and what is important for us, for our kids, for the generations? And I think if you start there and then start to unpack it from a, a human perspective, from a work perspective, and from all the interrelationships, I think that's where you need to come from to sort of keep that um, H in HR. Awesome. Jared Cameron. I don't think it's about HR. I think it's about the middle managers, to be honest. So I think putting the humans back into HR is about having your HR team forget themselves focus on the business, recognize that you hire a whole individual, they've got a personal life, they've got kids, they've got, you know, they're gonna have good days, bad days, shit days, to be honest, and, uh, and empowering your managers 
to be able to have tricky conversations around some of those topics to their people. So I think putting the humans back into HR is actually about having a workforce of leaders who can respect the differences in individuals in their organisation and make them have a great work environment. If we could do that, we'd be rock stars. Nicely put. That's kind of a rallying cry there, Jared. That's awesome. We'd be rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Matty. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with all of those. So I'll take a bit of a different angle. I think it's also about just getting out of the way so people can actually be humans themselves as well. Yep. Just let people, let humans be humans. Let bygones be bygones. Hey, Jared. Yeah? You're going to keep collaborating with us on this podcast show, mate? Oh, you know, if I get the invite, if I get the call up, I might come along. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. I and I that. encourage all of you too as well. We are going to launch this big over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the Humans of HR... Uh, there will be a website, humans-hyphenated, humans, yeah, humansofhrhyphenated.com. Find everything there, um, including the links, podcast channels, the usual suspects. Um, love to see you subscribe and, and uh, be a part of this movement. Thanks for your time, everyone, and we'll catch you on the next episode.